Hello dear friends, welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life. We're studying Heaven and Hell, the second part of Heaven and Hell, which reveals to us an amazing account of Spirit Reports. Reports of spirits who've excarnated and are now reporting back to us of what they are encountering and what their experiences look like on the spirit side. And the beautiful thing is, Alan Kardec helps us to put it into context of their lives. What kind of lives did they lead and what is the consequence of their lives in the spirit world? So we've spent the last year going from case to case, looking at the different categories that Alan Kardec offers to us in heaven and hell. And currently we are studying, we will be studying, the last case of repentant criminals. And today we're going to look at um, a spirit by the name of Jacques Latour. Jacques Latour is a repentant criminal. He is the last of his category. And since it's a very long case, we will be breaking it up into two parts. So today we will be doing number one of um, the part one of Jacques Latour and then next week we will complete the case. So let me just check the um, technology here. Let's see. All right, it looks everything is good. All right, dear friends, let's go to page 450, Jacques Latour. He was a murderer. He, condemned, he was condemned by the Assise Court of Foix. Foix is a little area in the south of France, south of Lyon, and just about north, it's in the foothills of the Pyrenees. The Pyrenees is the mountain range that separates France from Spain. So he was condemned in Foix and executed in September of 1864. A female medium was asked to write down a private, in a private spiritist meeting of seven or eight persons in Brussels in September of 1864. So this took place in Brussels. We were present at the meeting also. Although no specific evocation had been made, the medium began to trace out the following words in very large characters and with great agitation after ripping the paper violently. And what did this medium write? I repent, exclamation mark. I repent, exclamation mark. Latour. Latour was his name. Hello, Tony. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining. Nice to see you. So he wrote and he was very agitated and the papers were ripped apart. I repent, I repent Latour. Now let's see what happens next. We were all surprised by this unexpected communication because no one had elicited it. So he was not one of the spirits who were asked to appear but he just came through. Since, so here's the first question. Now the spirits you know, um, took him in and they started asking questions. So here's the first question for Latour. Since we did not evoke you, what motive led you to manifest here instead of somewhere else? Good question, right? Why did he appear right there at that meeting? 
And here is this very interesting answer. And this is an answer that's for us, for all of us who attend mediumistic meetings, who do rescue work, this obsession work, because it confirms to us where our head and heart space is most effective. And here is his answer. I saw that you were compassionate souls and that you would take pity on me. Whereas others either evoke me more out of mere curiosity than charity, or else they avoid me out of horror. So here's our answer, friends. And here is a reconfirmation how important it is for us to always be compassionate and charitable. And in particular, also in our disobsession, in our rescue work, in our disobsession meetings because this is how we will be most effective and helpful for the spirits who are suffering. See, this spirit would have fallen through the cracks had there not been a mediumistic meeting with souls who were filled with compassion and charity. And he was greatly helped, and we will see that in the course of our study of this case. And what beautiful work, right? So this is very important for us to note. Then an undescribable, undescribable scene followed, which lasted about half an hour. And let's open our hearts and minds to what was happening here. In addition to her speech, the medium's gestures and facial expressions made it clear that the spirit was attuning himself with her. At times, his desperate voice was very heart-rending. He painted his anguish and suffering with such a very disturbing tone, and his supplications were so vehement that all present were profoundly touched. Can we imagine the amount of pain the spirit must feel? That's what we're invited to feel compassionate with, to open our hearts and minds to the suffering of the spirit, because it could be us, who knows? So now something really interesting um, comes through. And that's, again, it's um, important for rescue work. Some of those present were actually frightened by the medium's overexcitement, but we were of the opinion that a spirit who repents and begs for pity does not pose any danger. So now why are we pausing? Why are we pointing this out? Very often when we're in rescue work, we have spirits come through who are quite violent and agitated. And we as spirits are always asked to keep a so-called lid on the expression of the spirit. In other words, we don't run around crazy, screaming, banging our fists, going completely out of control with the spirit, allowing the spirit um, to express him or herself fully. So we're kind of controlling it to a certain degree. So, but here we're now learning that they actually allowed this fairly uncontrolled actions of Latour. And why? Because they surmised it's more important to receive him and let him express himself because he was already a repentant spirit. See, his first line that he wrote was, I repent, I repent, Latour. And this stands in contrast, now let's continue, to what we're going to learn now. Since he was borrowing the medium's organs, it would be better to determine his situation and show an interest in his fate. 
so they allowed his full expression. Versus, unlike the case with obsessing and possessing spirits who seek to seize mediums in order to dominate them. So this is interesting. So there is a distinction. So if we can make that distinction, whether the spirit that comes through during rescue work is already a repenting spirit, where it is, it could be at times allowed to give the spirit more expression according to Alan Kardec and the reports, then if we see it's an obsessing spirit, which then will dominate the medium and cause harm. It's an interesting distinction, isn't it? So then it continues. Let me say hello to the beautiful community. There's so so a hi, so so so. Thanks for, for joining. Karina Alisi, thank you so much for being here, friend. And Lisa Tellis, and yeah, hello. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining this important study. There's so much to learn, right? So then he uh, continues, the spirit cried, cried out, oh yes, please take pity. I really need it for you don't know what I am suffering. Again, I invite you to open your hearts and really feel the suffering of the spirit because this is how we learn. By understanding what others have gone through who came before us so we can see how we can do it differently and better. So yes, take pity. No, you don't know. You cannot understand. It is horrible. The guillotine, which is the guillotine was how in France and in, in Europe, people were killed. What was the guillotine when compared with what I'm experiencing now? Nothing. It was just a moment. But this fire that is devouring me is worse. It is a continual death. It is suffering without rest or repose, without end. It is suffering without rest or repose, without end. In previous um, spirit studies, we learned that spirits don't have a day or night anymore. So there is not what we experience when we have a tormenting passage in our lives. Thank God we always have sleep and we can so-called check out for a little while and really rest from the torments in our lives. Once we're spirits, we don't have that. Days and nights are one and it seems continuous. And this is just another spirit who reports this back to us, which makes it worse. Can we even imagine if we could never sleep? If we have pain, I'm sure all of us have, have had phases in our lives where we've experienced pain. And can we imagine how it would have been without having a night Yes, we're invited to breathe into that and imagine that for a moment. Then he says, and my victims are all there around me, showing me their wounds. So obviously he's killed people, persecuting me with their stares. They're there in front of me. I can see all of them. Yes, all, I can see them all, he says. I can't avoid them and this sea of blood and this gold, gold stained with blood so he must have also been hoarding money or maybe he killed because of money everything is there always right in front of me can you sense the smell of blood blood always blood there they are my poor victims they're begging me and without mercy i strike them i strike again i strike without stopping the blood is intoxicating 
Isn't it an awful picture? So, um, then he says, what I had taken to be the end of my suffering was only the beginning of my indescribable tortures. So obviously he thought it would all end with death. But let us pause you for a moment. When we go to the Spirit's book, um, at the end, we have a section called Future Joys and Sorrows. And one question that we have right now is, is seeing um, for a spirit to see their victims, is that a form of punishment? Is that hard? We want to confirm, we want to see what, what that's what Alan Kardec found out for us. It is question 977. 977. Let us see where we can find it. It's a big book. And we will be referring to it several times today because it will be so helpful to um, assimilate the lessons. Since spirits cannot hide their thoughts from one another, so spirits cannot hide their thoughts from one another, and since all the acts of their lives are known, doesn't it follow that those who are guilty continually see their victims as being present, just like that tour? constantly seeing his victims surrounding him. And the answer is, from this illuminated spirits, common sense tells you that it cannot be otherwise. So that is the consequence. When we have done wrong to others, in this case Latour murdered them, but it doesn't need murder. It can be something less than murder. We will be surrounded by those who we've wronged. The next question is, is the perpetual sight of its victims a punishment for the guilty spirit? Now, let us remember that there is no such thing as punishment, really, but there is the law of cause and effect. So it will be the effect, it will be the consequence of his actions, of our actions. So is the perpetual sight of its victims a consequence of the guilty spirit's act? The answer is more than you might think. But it only lasts until it has expiated its wrongdoing, either as a spirit or as an individual in new corporeal existences. And that's what's so wonderful. Divine providence always gives us another chance. All we need to do as a first step, what is our first step when we have done wrong? And it doesn't matter whether we're incarnated or excarnated. It is repenting really feeling the pain of our wrongs, feeling repentant about it. And with that usually comes prayer and the recognition of God. Because repentance is admitting to God that we've done wrong. And that opens the door. That creates the crack of light. And from there, most often, the good spirits come rushing to our aid. We just saw that in our study of Life Goes On when the spirits, Ernesto and Evelina, the protagonists of that story, felt anguished. The phalanges of good spirits already rushed to their side because lights went on on their monitors saying they are anguished. We see it in Nosolar. Andre Luis gets rescued the moment he feels repentant as he is found in the umbral. So, and of course, memoirs of suicide, the same thing. When we find ourselves in the world of spirits, our entire past will be uncovered. The good and the evil we have done will also be known. 
Those who have done evil will try in vain to avoid the sight of their victims, and their inevitable presence will be an incessant punishment in regret for them until they have expiated their wrongs. Moral individuals, on the contrary, will only encounter friendly and benevolent eyes everywhere. Wouldn't we like to fall into that latter category? Well, we have it in our own hands. We can today mold our lives from our thinking to our speech to our action to the good so that once we excarnate and hopefully even before that, we will surround ourselves with benevolent and kind spirits and not those um, victims of ours that will cause us pain. So let us continue. So here we say, so when I had, last thing he said, what I had taken to be the end of my suffering, namely his exclamation moment, his death, was only the beginning of my indescribable tortures. I believed that after my death, everything would be over, over. And that's why I braved it. I braved God himself, denying him altogether. And when I thought I would cease to exist forever, a terrible awakening occurred. Oh, Yes, terrible. I'm surrounded by corpses with menacing faces, my feet weighed in blood. I thought I was dead, but I'm alive. It's dreadful. It's horrible. More horrible than all the torches on earth, of earth. Oh, let's take a deep breath. Can we actually imagine that? There's so much pain and so much torture on earth. And we know only part of it, I'm sure. But what we know already that's happening here on earth is so painful to watch. And he's reporting back to us that that's nothing compared to what he's experiencing. And let us remember it's day in, day out. There is no day, night. It's, it's incessant. He says, ah, if all men could know what is waiting for them after death. And here he's speaking to us. And we wish we could be on national TV. Not just me, any one of us knowing this, to pass this on to everyone on this planet, right? Because this is so important, what he's saying here. So he says, if all men could know what is waiting for them after death, they would know what it will cost them to do evil. There will be no more murderers, no criminals, no malefactors. I would wish that all murderers could see what I am seeing, what I'm having to go through. Oh no, there would no more. It's awful to suffer what I'm going through. Wow. Well, we have to be patient. We have to be patient. We know divine providence is patient. We can't tug or pull on the seed that's germinating, but we certainly are happy that he is, Latour is telling us, so that we become really conscious of that, that we learn, and that's why we're coming together every week, to learn from the spirits who've come before us, so we're not gonna make the same mistakes, because we can change our lives, and we can work towards the good every second of our days, today, this very moment. So let us go back to the spirits book. Question 225, I wanted to go back and say, why are people more inclined to be murderers when they don't believe in God or don't recognize that there is a God? Well, because their lives 
are very often just guided by the thought, oh, it's just one pop, it's one lifetime. Nothing will happen afterwards. It's me first, survival of the fittest, more money, more pleasure, more vacation, more cars, more homes, more of everything, elbow society, me first, selfishness and pride. We know all how that looks like and we have probably participated to this to a certain degree at some point in our lives. We probably have been guilty of it as well. Well, the problem is we're really not recognizing that we are co-creators and that life goes on. There is no death. And the law of cause and effect, God's laws, are in charge. And what we plant in our garden of eternity, whatever seed we put in with every single thought, every single second, is a seed that will germinate and we will have to harvest it. Our gardening, our putting seeds into our garden is always based on our free will. We have a choice, but the harvest after we put the seeds in is a compulsory. There is no more like, oh, no, I don't want that bush. No, and I don't want this tree, and I don't want this, that, or the other in my garden. No, once we have put the seeds in, they're gonna grow, and then we have to live with them. So let us go to the Spirit's book again. And let us go to um, the question where Alan Kardec is wondering, what is the nature of the spirit's suffering? What do you think? What is the spirit's suffering, the nature of spirit's suffering? And right now we're talking about excarnated spirits. What do you think is the nature of excarnated spirit suffering? Well, the answer is it's primarily mental anguish mental anguish, which tortures it more than any physical suffering. So that is something that may be hard for us to imagine. For those of us who've had some physical suffering on this planet, we know that's very painful, from a headache to a broken bone to some more systemic illnesses. But to have incessant mental anguish anguish, remorse, feelings of remorse, and then being surrounded by our enemies. Is that something that we can really feel? We're invited tonight to make an effort in that direction. So the nature of spirit suffering is mental anguish according to the spirits on high. There is a beautiful theoretical essay on the sensations of spirits in the spirits book. It starts, it's on page 200, it starts on page 214 and it's linked to question 257. We invite you to read it because it gives a beautiful account, very detailed um, by Ellen Kardec um, as to the sensations in spirits. It will help us, prepare us, help us in our in our everyday moment of preparing ourselves for the future. Here, here we learn. You might, we're not gonna read it all, we're just gonna pick out something. You might say now, we had thought that once freed from our dense envelope, the instrument of our pains, namely our bodies, we wouldn't suffer anymore, just like Latour, right? Now you're telling us that we can continue to suffer? Whether it is one way or another, it is suffering nonetheless. Yes, we can still suffer a great deal and for a long time, but we might also no longer experience any suffering at all, 
from the moment we leave this corporeal life behind. And we already know how. It is by feeling the good, visualizing the good, and molding the good with all the resources we have, always, always being charitable, benevolent, indulgent towards others' imperfections, and forgiving, always doing the good. And we have lots of time. You may say, well, but I'm at home, how can I do the good? And we know every thought can be turned towards the good. Prayer, meditation, reaching out on social media, reaching out to give talks. There's so many ways to do the good. Connecting with our families, calling friends who we usually don't have time to speak to. We have all the technology. We can even do it with cameras, right, friends? And the list goes on. We can always do the good. We can do the good when we're on our deathbed. We can still pray. And we can still connect with God and always extend good vibrations. The sufferings of this world are sometimes the result of a cause outside of ourselves. But most often, the suffering results from our own volition. If we trace them back to their origin, we will see that most of our suffering is due to causes we could have, could have avoided. This is very important. The suffering that we experience today, let's look at COVID-19. For some of us, it's a suffering. For others of us, it's not a suffering this moment. But in general, there are a lot of people who are suffering for sure. And not only those who have contracted COVID-19. But it is something that probably could have we could have avoided. But through our thoughts and our actions, our words, through our entire lifestyles, we have created this virus. So now we need to live with the consequence and hopefully we reverse it by doing the good, thinking the good, feeling the good. How many ills, how many infirmities do people owe solely to their excesses and ambitions, in a word, to their passions? And this is speaking to us so loudly right now, friends, right? Because this virus is most likely coming from the same source. Our excesses, our ambitions, our passions, our wanting more, more, more. Everything has to be always more and better and more pleasurable and more fun. And nobody of us is paying attention to poor Mother Earth. We're exploiting everything just for our own whims, for our own pleasures. And now the pause button has been pushed and we're all having a little time out. But it's a beautiful time out. It's one of the best times on earth to have the time out because we have modern technology. We can be connected with everyone through just a tip, a tap with our finger on our little computing devices. And of course, we also know that we can do it mentally, right? So let's continue. The same applies to spirits. The sufferings they undergo always result from the manner in which they lived on the earth. So every suffering we experience, this is the bottom line, stems from here. We've created it either in this lifetime or in previous lifetimes. And whenever we can suffer here in this end, but we can also suffer during our spirit lives. And the root cause is always here, lies within us. And that's the good news. 
because now we know we can control it, we can change it. It's not, it's outside of our realm of influence. And that is really good news, isn't it? Concerning the subject, we have questioned many thousands of spirits who belonged to every social class and to every position. We have studied them at every period of their spirit life from the moment they left their body behind. We have followed them step by step in that life beyond the grave in order to observe them. Spirit sufferings are always related to their conduct. They must suffer the consequences and spirits is us or excarnated. And that this and that this new existence is a source of ineffable happiness for those who have taken the path of the good. Hence, it follows that for those who suffer, it is because they have wanted to and they have only themselves to blame in the other world as in this one. Friends, we only have ourselves to blame. And COVID-19 is really a collective issue. It is something that we all have in common. And so consequently, we all have to live with it. Whole world, unbelievable, every single country. And it shows us that the root cause lies in our collective evil, ignorance, from our thoughts, our actions, our unbridled passions, we know. And hopefully we would use this time out for our own selves, because that's what's important. That's the only thing we can control and change to see what we need to change to help the whole, the collective. It starts with us. Let us be the change we want to see in the world. So let us see what is next. Um, question 973, we can't let go of this beautiful spirits book because it has so much good information. It is the constitution of our souls. What are the greatest sufferings bad spirits have to endure? What are the greatest sufferings bad spirits have to endure? It is utterly impossible to describe the mental tortures that are the punishment for some crimes. The actual spirits who suffer them find it difficult to give you an idea of them. And Latour is certainly trying. The diversity of the consequences of our acts is infinite. I say this again. The diversity of the consequences of our acts is infinite. But may be generally summed up in the fact that each soul is punished, consequenced, living the consequences for its specific sins. Some are punished by the incessant side of the evil they committed others by regret, others yet by fear, shame, doubt, others experience loneliness, darkness, and separation from those who are dear to them, etc. The list goes on and on. And what we will experience in terms of suffering only depends on the wrongs we have committed. But again, we have the most beautiful opportunity to reset our own lives and to look and see, so what do I need to change to put beautiful strawberry seeds into my garden and blueberry seeds and kale, because we need greens too, right friends? So let's see, what's next? Um, God's intervention, that's so important. 
Let's go to question 963. Again, in future joys and happiness and sorrows, it's the last chapter of the Spirit's book is very, very educational and rich. Now it shows us that whatever we've done wrong, however, we should never despair because we can change it any minute. And again, the minute we repent and we see our wrongs, divine providence is rushing to our aid, just waiting for us to wait up, to wake up. So is God concerned personally with each individual? Isn't God too great and aren't we too small for each individual in particular to have any importance in the divine side? Good question, right? How does God know what I think? I'm just this little ant. So there is billions of ants around here, gazillion ants. So why can't I just cut this little corner right now? Well, the answer is God is concerned with all created beings from the worm to the president of the countries. No matter how small they may be, nothing is too small for God's goodness. And our dear friend Carol Cahir always says, God carries little baby monitors, little baby monitors, and they're attached to us. He knows exactly, he, she, it knows exactly what's going on. Question 964, must God be concerned with each of our actions in order to reward or punish us? Consequences? Are most of such actions insignificant to God? Well, let's see. The answer is God has established the divine laws that regulate all your actions. And this is the key, divine laws. We fall under divine laws that are really, those are the ones that really regulate us. If you violate the divine laws, the fault is yours. Obviously, when people commit an excess, God does not pronounce sentence on them by saying, for example, you're a glutton and I'm going to punish you. But God has set a limit. Maladies, for example, sometimes death. Well, let's look, COVID-19, right? God has set a limit. Maladies, illnesses, sometimes death, are the consequences of excess. So it looks pretty clear to us that our excesses have come, have brought us to this moment on planet Earth. It is God has set a limit and said, here, law of cause and effect, you guys, now you're gonna have some maladies and sometimes death. Thus, the consequence, it results from breaking a law it breaks the law of cause and effect. Everything happens this way. When we break a law, and all the laws are here in the Spirit's book, third part, we can study it. And where are the laws really written? Are they in a book? Can we find them in the library? No. God's laws are written right here in our conscience. So now we have time to tune in and check and see, are we breaking any laws? All our actions are subjected to the laws of God, no matter how unimportant they seem to us. So this is important. No matter how unimportant they seem to us, there could still be a violation for, of those laws. If we suffer the consequences of such violation, we have only ourselves to blame. They're saying it on every, on every corner to us, right? You creating your own reality. You are the ones. You are the ones who break the laws. You have committed excesses. And now there is the pause button. 
We are thus the artisans of our own future, happiness or unhappiness. Yay, we like that, don't we? We're very happy about that, that we are the co-creators of our happiness and unhappiness. So let us see what is next. Um, yes, one last thing in the Spirits book, question 975. It gives us a most beautiful summary of why we will suffer. How is it that we will suffer? It's question 975, page 545, same section that we have been in, which is the futures, joys, and sorrows. There's three ways of how we break God's laws. Now let us listen. There's three ways. One, we break it. You must remember that the spirit suffers for all the wrong it has done or which it has intentionally caused. So when we break this law that we have done wrong to anything or anybody. Of course, when we do wrong to someone else, we do it to ourselves because we're always the first recipient of every action, of every thought, of every feeling, of every action. If I'm trying to throw perfume at you, I'm going to smell of perfume too. So if we break this law, we will suffer. If we do wrong, we will have to suffer. Second, we will have to live the consequences for all the good that, it, that we might have done, but didn't. So if we omit doing the good, because we're lazy and, ah, and it's lying on the couch and flipping channels and, and eating yet another bucket of ice cream, well, during all that time, we've omitted doing good, maybe quite a bit. So we will be guilty for that too. So we may not do evil per se, we might not do any, anything bad per se, but we've omitted doing the good. That's breaking God's laws. And here's number three. For all the harm that resulted, so we're also guilty for all the harm that resulted from the good we failed to do. So the bar is really high. We need to not only pay attention to, the, to not doing bad, to not committing any crimes, but we also need to not omit doing the good because that's another law we're breaking. All right, let us continue. Um, he's saying now, um, I wanted to deceive myself and that's why I wanted to convince myself that you didn't exist. So that is something that happens here on earth. So many people not wanting to acknowledge that there is a God, that there is something much bigger and greater than they are that is actually in charge. And in order to recognize that there is a God, we need to humble ourselves because that makes us not the creators of this world, but only so-called co-creators. So a lot of people live very materialistic lives, as we just learned, living excesses, thinking it's just one pop, one lifetime, and once we die, it's all over, nothing will happen, and there's just nothingness. So I can just take care of myself, me first. So now the question is, where are we in this? 
Are we still deceiving ourselves as to doing the good, really recognizing God above all else? Are we really paying attention to God's laws? Where are we? Are we still deceiving ourselves? Let us, let us meditate on that on a scale of zero to 10. Ah, uh, no, I am so clear. I wake up in the morning and all I do is fulfill God's to-do list. I'm making it and I am crossing it off one second of each day, moment of each day. That would be a 10. That would be like being like God. So most likely we're not quite there yet. Or zero, well, I have a long way to go. I am still thinking I'm in charge and it's me first and I am just very much concerned about my image, my ego and so forth and so on. So we invite it in our week to come, in our spare time, because the pause button has been pushed, to tune in and see where we are at. Are we still deceiving ourselves like our friends, friend Latour? So then he asks, have mercy, Lord. Oh, mercy, mercy, I beg you. You who are here listening to me, you good souls, he says, charitable souls. Yes, I see you and you'll take pity on me, won't you? You'll pray for me. Oh, I beg of you, don't reject me. Ask God to take this horrible spectacle from my eyes. He will listen to you because you are good. I beg of you, don't cast me aside as I did others. Pray for me. Now, there's one subject that has been going, weaving its way through every single case we have studied so far. And that is an, among the spirits who've been suffering. And there's been many different categories so far. Every single one is asking for prayers. And if they haven't asked for prayers, then the prayers were offered to them. And prayers have always helped them. Let us look at this. Why would we want to pray for the so-called dead? Well, the Spirit's book is going to tell us, we go to the law of worship, one of God's laws, the law of worship, which is the first of the laws here in the Spirit's book. Question 664, if only we could find it. Let's see, 664, law of worship. Is it any use praying for the dead and for suffering spirits? And if so, how can our prayers provide them consolation and shorten their sufferings? We wonder too. Do our prayers have the power to appease the justice of God? So Alan Kardec is wondering and his team is wondering, how can our prayers provide consolation and shorten suffering? And can it? Can it actually appease the justice of God? And the answer is prayer has no effect in changing God's designs. But remember law of cause and effect. We're putting seeds into our garden. We need to harvest them. But the soul for whom you pray experiences relief. And that is just like medication. When we have a headache and we take an aspirin, the relief is so lovely, right? When the pain becomes less. So prayer is like a pill. It takes away some layers of the pain. 
so the soul for whom you pray experiences relief because it witnesses the interest you show in it. And because an unhappy soul is always consoled when it encounters other charitable souls who share in its suffering. Moreover, through prayer, you may incite it to repentance and the desire to do what is needed to become happy. And we know that the first step for a softening of a heart is repentance. When the soul feels repentance, that's when the crack in the wall, the light comes through and it opens the soul, the spirit up to the benevolent spirits, to divine providence to come in and intercede and help. That's the opening that's required. So our prayers help with that. Even if a spirit is not yet repenting, but our prayers might incite us to repentance, which is so vital. And for us to pray is also charity. So in order for us to be charitable, we pray. So um, it is in this sense that you can shorten the spirit's affliction. So praying for those who are suffering, praying for the dead may shorten their affliction. Aroused by prayer, such a desire to improve attracts the, to the suffering spirit who come to enlighten, console, and give it hope. Jesus prayed for the straying sheep. In doing so, he showed you that you are culpable if you do not pray for those who are the most in need. We know Jesus is our guide and model. So here we're learning that Jesus prayed for the straying sheep, and so must we, because if Jesus modeled that to us and we see Jesus as our guide and model, we are invited to do the same. We're acting charitably. We're helping ourselves by helping others and we're helping for them to lessen the pain. It is like giving aspirin to suffering spirits. Questions, let's see, is there another 665? What is to be thought of the opinion that rejects praying for the dead because it is not prescribed in the Gospels? Good question. The answer is, Christ said to all humankind, love one another. And there it is. We can never go wrong with loving. And prayer is a form of loving. This recommendation implies using all possible means to demonstrate love towards others. The prayer you direct to God on behalf of those who inspire your love is for them a testimony of remembrance. And it consoles them and contributes towards relieving their suffering. They can be helped when and only when they show the slightest repentance. But it will nevertheless cause them never to forget that a sympathetic soul has been concerned about them. It is the bomb that we offer the suffering spirits and they may be incarnated or discarnated. It may be any suffering spirit. Isn't that beautiful friends? How powerful our prayers are. And prayers as Emmanuel describes them and, and defines them to us in thought and life is not only for us, we don't have to sit there all day long and pray like this. No, he defines it actually the concentration of our mental forces before we begin an action, an endeavor. So we can be prayerful even when we wash the dishes or clean our house. And we can be prayerful when we take a walk in nature. 
So it's any mental concentration before our actions. And if we turn our mind then towards the good and connect with God while we fulfill those duties, when the mirror of our souls and our minds reflect God's will and, and light back into our lives during our actions, there it is. And now we can connect with the suffering spirits and help them at the same time. It's beautiful. It's, it's really, this is what we can do right now during our quarantine of love. We call it the quarantine of love because we can love even though we are not physically connected to other people other than the ones who live with us. Right, friends? So there is constant activity. There is no boredom. All right, let us go back. Um, so praying. He asked, pray for me, pray for me. Then um, he talks, God will allow you to meet. Um, okay, let's see here. The participants were deeply touched by his remorse and spoke words of comfort and consolation. What he requires from the guilty is sincere repentance. So the length of your punishment is in your own hands and it depends on you yourself to shorten it. We promise to help you with our prayers and to call upon the assistance of good spirits for you. So this group of mediums are talking to Latour, but they're really talking to us, right? They're talking to us. They're telling us that the length of our suffering lies in our own hands. And it depends on us whether we want to prolong our suffering or we want to shorten it. And then if we want to we're ready to shorten it. We promise to help you with our prayers and to call upon the assistance of good spirits for you. So the, the help is always surrounding us. We will now recite on your behalf a prayer from the gospel. And we will be doing that for our closing prayer. Let us go and back to the spirits book. Question 999. 999. What a beautiful auspicious number. Let us see what this question is. I know it's an important one. 999. Alan Kardec is wondering, is sincere repentance sufficient to extinguish a spirit's wrongs and enable it to merit God's grace? Is our sincere repentance sufficient to extinguish our wrongs? The answer is, repentance helps to improve the spirit but the past must be expiated nevertheless. And the expiation often happens in a new incarnation. In the face of life between life, in our spirit lives, we learn a lot of lessons. We go to schools, to universities. We educate ourselves. And it depends on our will and desire how much we do that. But the rubber meets the road when we go in, into a new incarnation. And now we're invited to practice the lessons we've learned in between lifetimes, in between incarnations. Repentance. Um, that being the case, what would be the consequence for a criminal who says that since his past must be expiated anyway, there is no need for him to repent? The answer is, if he persists in the thought of evil, his expiation will be all the longer and more painful. So what does that teach us? Let us, when we know, first of all, know thyself. Let us get to know ourselves, our actions, our thoughts, our feelings. We can do the nightly review. St. Augustine recommends that to us. 
in that nightly review, we'll go over all the actions and thoughts and feelings, everything that happened during our past day. And our conscience will wash to the surface definitely those moments that aren't so perfect because our conscience will tell us, now if we see that we've done some wrong, it is important to repent sooner than later because here we're learning that if we don't repent, we will prolong our suffering. And out of the repentance, hopefully we'll be able to revisit those people we've wronged and make up for the wrong we've, we've committed, apologize, do something good for them. And if they're not open, we pray for them, right? So question 1003. Isn't it beautiful to see how busy we can be in our pause? Is the duration of the sufferings of the guilty in the future life arbitrary or subordinate to some law? Is the duration of the sufferings of the guilty due to God's law? And the answer is God never acts capriciously. We should know that by now, right? And everything in the universe is ruled by laws that reveal the divine wisdom and goodness. There's always help built in. The remedy is always right next to us. All we need to do is open up to it. Repentance is one way to open up to the remedy. Recognizing we've done wrong. What determines the duration of the suffering of the guilty? The length of time required for their improvement. Since the state of suffering or happiness is in proportion to a spirit's degree of purification, the duration and nature of its suffering depends on the time it takes to improve itself. As the spirit progresses and its sentiments become pure, its sufferings diminish and are changed to the same extent. And this is St. Louis who tells us, tells us that. So let us take a moment here. It's in the chapter, The Duration of Future Punishments. You're invited to read the whole chapter. St. Louis has a lot to say in that chapter. So it's a beautiful chapter. It's very clear and very um, much to learn from it because it teaches us of how we can shorten our suffering. And we have the most beautiful opportunity right now since the pause, the COVID-19 pause button has been pushed and we are invited to reset ourselves. And by resetting ourselves, seeing what we need to, to change to not only shorten our own suffering, but the suffering of the whole planet. Because as we said earlier, COVID-19 is a collective lesson also. It's individual, but it's also collective. So question a thousand and um, let's see, we have two more, six. Can the duration of a spirit's suffering be eternal? And St. Louis again says, of course, if it were to remain eternally bad, that is to say, if it were never to repent or improve itself, it would then suffer eternally. However, God has not created beings eternally devoted to evil. As long as we recognize we've done wrong and we start repenting, that starts the progress. And out of our severe repentance, heartfelt repentance, we hopefully make up for the wrongs. We want to make up for the wrongs we've committed. And sometimes it takes a new incarnation. All right, friends, let us summarize. Um, 
There is a recipe of success for us. And it's in Spirit's book on page 562. And this is how we would like to end today. And next week we will pick up um, with Latour because he will have quite a nice um, turnaround because he is ready to repent and he received the help from the charitable mediumistic meeting, the friends in that meeting, 562. And it is by Apostle Paul. He says, for divine unity to occur, three things are necessary. And this is important because this message is for our times because we are looking for divine unity, right? We would like this virus to say bye-bye to us, but it won't just go away. We need to do our share. So here is a recipe for success by St. Augustine. No, not by St. Augustine, by Paul the Apostle. For divine unity to occur, three things are necessary for us right now and always justice love and knowledge we know that love and knowledge are the two arms that we need for us to progress we need to be charitable learn to do more the good and we need to educate ourselves and we know that justice is the law of cause and effect it is the golden rule wishing for others what we would like for our own selves There are three things that are contrary to and oppose this unity. And this is what we need to guard ourselves against. Ignorance, hatred, and injustice. So it is important to not focus on the negative that's happening. Maybe in the political realm or any other. Because that will not help us to change. Let us always focus on the positive, on what we can change in us. And that is love, knowledge, and justice. Who in fact are the guilty, he says, those who through a transgression, through a wrong impulse of the soul have distanced themselves from the objective of their creation, which consists in the harmonious cultivation of goodness and beauty as idealized by the human archetype. And who is the human archetype? The God-man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our guide and model. Let us look up to Jesus renewed. Hail Christ every single night. We have a beautiful opportunity to learn. Dr. Vanessa Anceloni conducts the spirit, it conducts the study of this book, Hail Christ, where we can turn ourselves more towards Jesus Christ, learn how to be like the early Christians who so incorporated Jesus in their actions, in their thoughts and in their feelings. So we are invited to cultivate harmony of goodness. Friends, let us close with a prayer that this group of mediumistic members were praying for Latour and it is who was a repentant criminal and who of us isn't a repentant criminal right friends at some point 
we are probably still carrying that. So this is a prayer for us as well. They were praying it for him and it helped him greatly. We're finding this in the gospel according to spiritism in the end, in the final section, is a section for repentant spirits. And there is a prayer. And I invite you to close your eyes and let us connect with God, with Jesus, our Master, Mother Mary, the spirit mentors of this group, and our own spirit guides. God of mercy, who accepts the sincere repentance of the sinner, whether incarnate or discarnate, here is a spirit who took pleasure in evil, but who now recognizes his errors and is entering upon the pathway of the good. Dear God, deign to receive him as a prodigal child and forgive him. Good spirits, whose voice he failed to acknowledge, he now wants you to hear him from this day onward. Allow him to foresee the happiness of the Lord's elect so that he may persist in the desire to purify himself in order to reach you. Uphold him in his good resolutions and give him the strength to resist evil instincts. Spirit, we recommend all repentant criminals for their change and we give thanks to the good spirits who have helped. If you used to take pleasure in doing evil, it was because you did not understand how sweet the joy in doing good was. You also felt too slow, too lowly to hope to achieve it. But from the moment in which you stepped onto the good path, a light began to shine for you. You have begun to experience an unknown happiness and hope has entered your soul. It is because God always hears the prayer of the repentant sinner and does not spurn anyone who comes to him. To enter completely into his grace, apply yourself from here on out, not only in no longer committing evil, but in doing the good and especially in repairing the evil you have done. Then you will have satisfied God's justice. Each good act will erase one of your past wrongs. Each good act will erase one of your past wrongs. The first step has been taken. Now, the more you advance, the easier and more pleasant the pathway will seem to you. So persevere and one day you will experience the glory of being counted among the good and happy spirits. And so be it. Dear friends, Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Cardiac Radio. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Gabriel Inacio, Carol, Carol Correa, Sol Souza, Julija, Lisa Tellis, Karina Lisi, Tony. Thank you, friends. And have a beautiful week. God bless you.